If you put a gun to my head and you said, because people think of me all the time, they say, oh, he's a social media guru or whatever. And by the way, most people that call themselves gurus do that because they can't spell charlatan. So I never, <laughs> I, I never call myself a guru in anything. Um, yeah. No offense to anybody listening to this that calls himself a guru. I love you. So, so, uh, but, but for me, if you put a gun to my head and you said, Kevin, what is it you really do for a living? What I really do for a living, and this is in my heart, this is what I believe that I do. I teach the art of creating and nurturing relationships. That's what I do. Now I do it primarily in a business context because that's just the way my path has gone. But at the end of the day, anybody could show you how to set up a LinkedIn profile or Facebook or Twitter or teach you sales skills. I mean, that, that's easy to find. Really the art is how do you nurture relationship? Welcome to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder. That voice you just heard was speaker and author Kevin Knebel. Now, I first heard Kevin speak at an event in Denver hosted by a major insurance company last year. The topic he was going to talk about was using LinkedIn to generate sales. And I was so excited about it that I recorded it on my phone while I feverishly took notes. Then when I got home, I listened again and took even more notes. When I heard Kevin speak again at a conference in Kansas City this summer with my broker dealer, I did the exact same thing. I recorded it, took notes, re-listened, took more notes. It didn't take me long to realize that what he was talking about was a lot more than just using social media. I could go on, but I'll let you hear for yourself. Here's how John Ramstead, my co-host, got that conversation started. So Kevin, I first heard about you from a mutual friend that we have, Joe Saba. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me about this young man that walked into a speaking clinic that he was doing that had an idea. And you started uh, going around town, speaking anywhere you could at absolutely no charge. And that led to an entire second phase of your career. I'd love to hear a little bit about that part of your journey. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, if you know Joe Saba, I call him, I don't call him Yoda, I call him Joda. He's kind of, you know, kind of like Yoda, he's small, he's got a cane, he's, you know, he's pretty wise. So, um, yeah, I had, uh, I had gone to a how to speak for fun and profit session or a training that he does. He's, I think he's been doing it for 20 or 30 years. And I had been considering possibly becoming a speaker and doing some speaking. Prior to that, I was a full-time salesperson and I was very blessed to be um, the top salesperson in the world for a couple different companies. So I had I was considering getting out of that line of work, going into speaking. I sat in Joe's session. It was really interesting. It did not seem like it would be that much of a shift to go from selling to um, adding value to people through speaking. I started speaking at no fee like most people do. And then it was a total God thing. It completely took off. But the blessings that I've received over the last five or six years have been truly mind-boggling. Well, yeah, I... I through Joe and then, you know, getting to know you, I've uh, followed you as a, you know, something to set my sights on, I tell you that. Now, Kevin, I would like to kind of wind back a little bit and, and hear a little bit about your journey and just get the audience to know you a little bit. And I did not know that you had started out your career as a musician in New York City. I was. I was a, I was a full-time pianist and a singer. And I, I grew up in northern New Jersey. So I was a full-time piano player and a singer in the New York, New Jersey area. I ended up marrying a woman who booked me to play piano at her own wedding to another man. 
Obviously, there's a backstory in there. We don't have time for that today. But she never married that loser. And uh, so, 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 so. What? what uh, no, I say that in all love. I say that. So, uh, actually, last month we celebrated our twentieth wedding anniversary. And when I got married, I figured out that late nights and smoky bars wasn't going to cut it in a family life. I got into sales because I couldn't find any other job. I had I, I was completely outside of my comfort zone, going from being a piano player to a full time salesperson. I had a great mentor who taught me that long-term success in business comes down to relationship skills. Um, I studied that excessively, and then I became the top salesperson in the world for an international consulting company and a couple other companies, and then eventually that led to a speaking career. So that's the that's the thumbnail version. Kev, that's that's a pretty big transition going from musician over to sales. Yeah, y- you said you poured a lot of time studying. How difficult was that? That, that mind shift. It was difficult, Steve. It was difficult because I, I being a right, give me all the Myers-Briggs and all the personality tests you want to give me. I'm always going to score a thousand percent to the right artsy, fartsy, creative, flaky kind of guy. So I had to cut my 18 inch long hair. I had to buy a briefcase, go to work for the man. I mean, I was emodium depends scared. But I, as I mentioned a moment ago, I had a mentor who taught me that, Kevin, once you get past your technical expertise in whatever your chosen profession is, your long-term success is always going to come down to your ability to create and nurture relationships. And I don't say that as a kumbaya group hug moment or a motivational speech. It's actually true. So he encouraged me to read a couple things like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie and some other things. And And that stuff resonated with me because I've always had a heart and an interest in people my fear was when I got into sales, I was going to be the, have to become the, teri, uh, the stereotypical used car salesman, fast-talking, slick guy. And I learned that I could really use the gifts that God had given me, which was a, a deep desire and hunger to connect with people. And the irony was the more I aligned with the way that God made me, as in terms of taking a sincere interest in people and being grateful and showing appreciation and paying it forward, all of those I guess, uh, attributes just yeah. led to massive sales. The, na- the sales was the natural outcome of taking a sincere interest in people. So at first, Steve, it was kind of very scary because I was in uncharted waters. Yeah. But, it, but, it, but very quickly, I learned that, oh, actually, this is kind of a nice divine accident. And of course, it wasn't an accident. You know, is, you know as you were making that transition, Kevin, mm-hmm. and you dug into some of these books and you, and you, did, you were searching that area. Right. What what allowed you to put those things into alignment? Because, you know, a lot of people in business, they, whether they're in sales, they're running the company, they have a team, there's always this, you know, this time where you're really out of your comfort zone. And I think right. a lot of that comes from being out of alignment with who you really are. Yeah. And what did you do to successfully pull those two together? Um, well, I, you know, thinking back, I probably did a bunch of things, but the, but the first thing that comes to mind, and this might sound overly simplistic, and I do sometimes have a, my wife tells me I have a sometimes annoying habit of reducing things to the absurd. And when your wife tells you you have a sometimes <laughs> annoying habit, that's usually code for always annoying habit. Right. So so for me, I, at a certain point in my sales journey, yeah, I realized I could only control two things. I could only control my attitude and I could only control my work ethic. There's nothing else. I can't control the harvest. And most people in business are trying to control the harvest. They're trying, they're literally trying to play God. 
and you can't control the harvest. All you can control is how frequently you plant the seed and whether or not you nurture it and keep planting. Let God control the harvest. So at a certain point, I said to myself, you know what, God, I'm going to work like it all depends on me, and I'm going to pray like it all depends on you, and I'm just going to get up early, work my butt off, and go to bed tired. That's why I have no butt. And, and, and I just, I, I, I kind of, I just assumed that I would never end up homeless in a gutter somewhere. I assumed that God would honor my commitment. Didn't mean that I would be driving a Bentley or wearing five Rolexes at the same time, but I knew that he would honor my commitment and he wouldn't let me, he just wouldn't let me fail. If I knew that if I was serving people, then it was all ultimately going to work out the way he wanted it to work out. That doesn't mean it was easy. Please don't read into what I'm saying that this was a cakewalk. But when, it, when things get tough, I always just kind of look back and go, you know what? He's got my back. As long as, I just, as long as I know where my blessings are coming from and as long as I just keep working hard, he's got my back. Kevin, I, th- I think what you just said is really is really key for what I know about you. I've heard you speak a few times mm-hmm. at, at broker-dealer events, and I love what you have to say. Serving people was, was the key for you. What did that look like in terms of – a sales guy. How does a sales guy serve people? Yeah. Well, um, obviously, when you're in sales, you have to learn some basic sales skills. And I would I would include in those sales skills um, skillful questioning. You know, not asking stupid questions. So skillful questioning and active listening, not just listening so that you can have the next clever answer, or not just listening so that you can move an agenda, yeah. but but deep listening. So I studied skillful questioning and and active listening which are really coaching skills you know exactly yeah but when they're applied to sales you completely differentiate yourself from about 99 percent of the people out there so when i would sit down with somebody back in the old days when i had a corporate sales career i was really trying to learn as much as i humanly could about that individual obviously about the sales cycle too and whatever the product or service was that i was selling but I knew that the more of an interest I could take in that person and what's important to them, the more they would understand that I truly care. And I, and I do not in any way mean this in a manipulative fashion. It was all about if I see one of my favorite sayings is people of integrity expect to be believed. And when they're not, they let time prove them right. So when I, when I would get together with a prospect, one of the first things I would tell them is, I know you meet with a lot of salespeople, and I'm sure you get a lot of clever sales pitches and agendas and ninja takedown moves and all this other stuff. I want you to know that I'm going to take a very deep, sincere interest in you and how I could possibly serve you. And I'm also going to take a sincere interest in you as a person. But I would encourage you not to believe me. I would encourage you to make me prove it. Now, when I open up a conversation like that, <laughs> nobody in their life has opened up a conversation like that with them. So you yeah. share that with people when you meet with them. It could be the first meeting. You say, this is who I am, what I'm all about. I say it in the first 60 seconds. I have set the table. You have set. You know, you, you go, it goes back to what you were talking about. You know, God controls the harvest, but you can plant the seed and nurture it. Mm-hmm. What you're really talking about is that nurture part. That is something that you can do to give it the best chance to to grow and develop and not just only a, a sale and, and revenue, but also that relationship. Where did that come from for you? This is clearly part of your values and something that's very important, but you've definitely pushed it to the front of who you are. Right. Well, and, you, you actually, And that was intentional. It was intentional. And you, you actually nailed it, John. Um, 
if you put a gun to my head and you said, because people think of me all the time, they say, oh, he's a social media guru or whatever. And by the way, most people that call themselves gurus do that because they can't spell charlatan. So I never, <laughs> I, I, I never call myself a guru in anything. Um, yeah. No offense to anybody listening to this that calls himself a guru. I love you. So, so, uh, but, but for me, if you put a gun to my head and you said, Kevin, what is it you really do for a living? What I really do for a living, and this is in my heart, this is what I believe that I do. I teach the art of creating and nurturing relationships. That's what I do. Now, I do it primarily in a business context because that's just the way my path has gone. But at the end of the day, anybody could show you how to set up a LinkedIn profile or Facebook or Twitter or teach you sales skills. I mean, that's easy to find. Really, the art is how do you nurture relationships? And one of the reasons to answer your question, John, that I, that I kind of focused on that many years ago and it's blossomed and developed, is I just realized that in a more and more interconnected, over-caffeinated, hyper-competitive Mach 5 with your receding hairline on fire, crackberry, blackberry world, our success is ultimately going to come down to the ability to nurture relationships. I guess one of the other reasons I did it is because I just, I'm not a big fan of traditional marketing and advertising. And I'm not putting down anybody that is, but I realized that if I created and nurture relationships, I'd never worry about business. There would be an endless pipeline of referrals. There would be more business that I could handle. And that's absolutely what God has manifested in my life. I can't keep up with it all, but I don't say that to be cocky or arrogant. I give all the glory to God. It's not me. It's just creating and nurturing relationships, taking a deep, sincere interest in people. Sorry for the long answer to the short question. No, that's fantastic. Because you know what is brain, what what I'm thinking about is how, you know, as you develop, you know, this transition, you started having success. Uh, you started knocking down big accounts this philosophy was working yeah uh you know in my sales career there was always this uh, tendency to start giving myself the credit yeah you know drift away from that true north what it sounds like for you right your faith you know god's role and all this where could you could you share where there's some times where that was a real struggle and how you oh, pulled yourself heck. back on track of course yeah, of course I screwed up. I started reading my own press clippings. I thought that I was, you know, <laughs> all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, of course. So I, it wasn't just your mom collecting them? You had them too? <laughs> <laughs> I used to, uh, I'll, I'll admit this because, you know, we're here to tell the truth. I'll admit that there was a time that if you came to my office in a previous house that I lived in, there was my walls. There was almost zero wall space that was not covered with some type of a plaque some type of a sales award, it, it was covered. And maybe part of that was a low self-image because I would sit at my desk and I would just want to look around and remind, because, you know, we, we, you know we, sometimes you just got to remind yourself, hey, man, you know, I, I have accomplished some pretty cool stuff. So my, my, but my walls were covered with this stuff. If you were to look around my office now, you wouldn't see any of that. Right. So, yes, to answer your question. Hey, what, so what changed? Yeah, I, I don't claim that I've got it fully mastered now. Hopefully I won't make that mistake again in the future, but I don't have a crystal ball. Uh -huh. So so um, what changed is just always reminding myself to be humble, be humble. Pride yeah. comes before the fall. I have enough miles under my belt now. I'm certainly not Solomon, but I'm old enough. I'm 49 years old. I'm old enough to be able to look back and go, Kevin, remember when you used to re believe that you really had a bigger part in this than you thought, you know, the, than you should? Remember how that worked out? That didn't work out so well. So I just... Was, was I, there, Kevin, was there a moment or a crossroads or an event that either abruptly shifted you from egocentric to humility or was it a process? 
Um, I think it was a process. Yeah. I can think of I can think of specific moments where I where I, where things hit the fan, and I went, "Oh, geez, Louise, what am I doing?" But I think mm. oh, long term, it was a process. Like most things, it, it's a growth, right? It's like you know, right. plants don't grow overnight. You you live and learn. Kev, I think a lot of people are going to equate low self image with humility. Oh. Who am I? I am, I am but a worm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, I, I remember that chapter of the Bible, thou art a worm, right? <laughs> no, actually, I think, I, think, um, I think a good, healthy, I got to be careful with the words here. Yeah. There's a big difference between confidence and arrogance, right? Mm. Huge, huge. It, it, my confidence, I, I mean, I know that I've developed some skills, but behind all that, I know it's God. You know, like so when people say, hey, I want to bake an apple pie from scratch. Okay, step one, create the universe. <laughs> right? Because if you're going to build it from scratch, you got to build it from scratch. So for yeah. me, Whatever success I have, if you want to call it success, and I don't consider myself God's gift to anything, but whatever success I've had, you know, you don't have to dig that deep to go, Kevin, just remind yourself it wasn't you, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Kevin, along this, this path, how have you, I'm just curious, how have you involved God in this journey? Where, where are the times where yeah. you've just really... I don't know, maybe it's just struggled with, you know, partnering with him in certain areas or you had doubts. And uh, I'd love for you. I, I think there's a lot of people listening that have had some very successful careers. They're hearing about your success. And there's times where you just drift away from that. I think that place you're in now, that comfort, that peace. Yeah. And how did you get back if, if you were ever off track? Well, um, you know, I said earlier that I'm in the business of creating and nurturing relationships. Yeah. Well, that doesn't just mean with man, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right, right. Good point. I, I'm in the business of creating and nurturing relationships. So I'm in conversation with God a lot of the day. So, Like when I get on a plane, I get on planes every single week. I get on, a, I've been on a million planes. It's easy to take that stuff for granted. I don't take any of it for granted. I, the moment I step on that plane, I say, God, you know, please protect me, but your will, not mine. And, and, and then I just relax and I say, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I get up every single morning. I say, you see, I'm originally from Jersey. I, when I wake up in the morning, I look to my left, I look to my right. I make sure there's no chalk line around me. Any day you can wake up and there's not a, there's not a chalk line around your body. That's a good day, brother. So I look at it and say, all right, I got another one. Praise God. I stopped living my life in, in weeks, months, decades, and years, many years ago. And I decided to start to just live my life in day type compartments. Today is my 18,235th day alive. So every morning I get up and I say day 18,200. I got up this morning at 4 a.m. like I do every morning. Day 18,235. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go rock and roll. I got on Facebook. I wrote day 18,235. Thank you, God, like I've been doing for years. And I give as much. (laughs) I give as much. Most people in business don't use the G word. And most people in business don't use the L word. That's God and love. I use God and love all the time from stage. And people say to me, Kevin, you shouldn't say that, man. You know, I say, you know what? I'm going to say whatever I want to say. And if, if I get thrown off the stage, well, then that's his will, not mine. I have never been thrown off a stage. I have had corporate CEOs 
in, in mahogany lined offices in Wall Street come up to me after a presentation and go, I'm so glad that you mentioned God. Right. So, so no, nobody's people, coming up and drawing a chalk line around you while you're nobody's speaking. Nobody's drawing a chalk line around my body, right? So it's you know, and if they did, well, I guess I guess that I guess my time's up, you know. So, so, so for me, I'm always trying to be in conversation and communication with God, hmm. and I'm and I'm not afraid to do it publicly. Well, I think that's a great example. And, you know, something else you brought up, which I think is such a powerful concept, you talk about day-tight compartments. What that says to me is you have mastered the art of living in the present. And so many people are, are you know, they're, they're, they're thinking about the future, right, where a lot of fears come in. And what I think that is is this fantasy reality that you're afraid of, you're, you know, that it might manifest itself. So you're worried about something that never happens. So, so being present today, being the person that's important to you, how did you match that? What, how would you share that with somebody who is not living in these day-type compartments? Well, I, thank you for saying that, John, because I think, again, you're very insightful. You nailed it. Um, I don't claim to be you know, the uh, transcendental guru of anything, but I have developed over time, I am exceedingly more present than I was, let's say, 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. One of one yeah. of the messages that I'm constantly telling my audiences, and, and my, my presentations tend to have a lot of irony and paradox in them, but I find that's the way the spiritual world works. Anything spiritual is by definition paradoxical. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it's a, it, it almost looks like a contradiction. You can, almost, you can almost use that as a litmus test to determine whether something's spiritual or not, right? <laughs> so, so um, so for me, I'm, I'm very much in the present and I'm constantly telling my audiences, slow down. Now, most people are saying, you know, you got your iPhone and you got your Bluetooth thing and you got all this other stuff, speed up, speed up, speed up. And I say, no, 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 no. The irony, the paradox is actually when you slow down, you'll get much farther faster. I, I posted something this morning where it said, slow down. You don't have time to be in such, you don't have enough time to be in such a hurry. And, and it makes people think because the, the irony is all you have is right now. Part of the answer to your question, John, September 11th, 2001, mm-hmm. there's a long story behind this. I don't have time to get into the story. I had a 7.15 a.m. appointment at Windows on the World on top of the World Trade Center. That was the restaurant that was on top of the World Trade Center. Yeah, you would you would have been uh, paying been your dead. check when the uh, plane hit. I would have been dead because the man that I had the appointment with had another appointment before me. He died. I could not make the appointment. The appointment got canceled. I, I had a challenge in my calendar two days before the appointment. We rescheduled it for the thirteenth of September. He still had an appointment up on top of that building. He died, and I dodged that bullet. Now I didn't dodge the bullet. It's all in God's will. But, but that had a profound impact on my life because I realized, oh, my gosh, I, if I hadn't had a challenge in my calendar, there is no way on God's green earth that I would have lived through that. I would be a dead man. And that helped. It wasn't the, it wasn't the final you know, thing that got me present, mm. but it really got me thinking about, wow, I had never come that close to death before. You know, it's interesting because I had a similar experience three years ago, and through that, living in the present mm-hmm. – but also making the important things important mm-hmm. was a very uh, interesting journey and transition for me. Because people get so busy being busy that they don't have time to think about the busyness that they have. Mm-hmm. 
right? They're just in the middle of doing things and they're not thinking about why they're even doing it because mm-hmm. they're not focused on today. <laughs> yeah, most people, you know, when things are going Mach 5 and there's not enough time to do all the things you want to do and, and everything's going crazy, that's probably a good time for a nap. <laughs> hey, you know, question for you. What have you built into your day, Kevin? Is there anything that's part of your routine or habits that have really worked for you that have allowed you to kind of be present, slow down, uh, which has led to this incredible productivity, which there, is yeah. counterintuitive? Yeah, yeah, there have been. Um, every morning when I get up, I, I write in a journal. I take 30 minutes. Here's my journal. I know this is an audio recording, so nobody can see this, but you guys on Skype video can see it. It is so, pretty. So it's a little moleskin, you know, it's a moleskin. I'm old school, man. I'm an eight-track player in the world of iPods. I could write it on a Word <laughs> document, but I don't know how to make a Word document. You know, so 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 um, I write for about 30 minutes every morning with no agenda. There's no, hey, I'm going to write about how to, you know, cure, you know, cure hunger. I just write stream of consciousness. Whatever is in my mind or in my heart, it comes out through the pen. And what's interesting, a lot of times when I'm working with people in a coaching relationship, I'll tell them. Just just take 30 minutes every morning before you do anything else and just write. Stream of consciousness. Don't even worry about Even if you wrote, I have no idea what to write. Uh, this pen is moving on the paper. Why the heck am I doing this? If you just write anything. Do it for 30, 60, 90 days and then go back and read it. And you're going to start to uncover some very interesting things going mm-hmm. on in your life, going on in your heart. Um, just the act. So part of what I do every day is I start every day with about 30 minutes of just journaling. And I, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it journaling. Just creative thinking is what mm-hmm. it is. Another thing is I always have in my left pocket a stone heart. So I have a heart that I take on stage with me all the time. It's, most people have absolutely no clue when I'm on stage that I actually have in my left hand a stone heart. I can't believe I've never dropped it. But the reason that I always have it in my hand is it reminds me that it's not about me. It's about God and it's all about love. So I, as I go through my day, I'll be standing in line at the airport. I'll be standing in line at the 7-Eleven waiting to get my cup of coffee. I got the stone heart in my left hand, and it's a heart that reminds me what's important. It's about love. It's about God. It's about caring. It's about kindness. So I have that with me always in my pocket, half the time actually in my hand. So there's little routines that I've developed to keep myself yeah. present. Well, that is such a great reminder. You know, you go throughout the whole day, you're always wondering, you know, you know a lot of the people that I, I coach and I work with and, you know, men I'm around, uh, it's definitely a topic of a conversation. You know, we're supposed to be praying constantly. We're supposed to be drawing God into every, and and you sit there at the end of the day and go, I think I did that today for about 10 seconds. Right. I, <laughs> I did that. But what a great idea to have something to remind you. Yeah. Um, you know, and I asked you in our, you know, our prep, what were your, what your favorite verse was? And it seems like what you're doing with being present and with this stone on your pocket really links. It's Proverbs 16, three, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. I'd love for you to share why that is such a uh, impactful verse for you. Yeah. And, and I'm not a guy who has a lot of Bible verses memorized. Um, I, I could probably count them on, you know, on one hand, and by one hand, I mean one finger. Yeah. So, so, so for me, you know, I always remember Proverbs sixteen three, which, which, because to me that resonated with me when I read that many years ago. I said, as long as I commit what I do to God, and I give it my best, hmm. then it's going to work out whatever way He wants it to work out. So, as long as I do that, then I'm pretty much covered. Right. You know, so as long as I can try to keep myself present, try to keep myself in the moment and and remember, that doesn't mean I screw up. I certainly do like everybody else, but I tend to get back faster. Um, 
So for me, Proverbs 16.3 is get up in the morning. You know, a lot of I see people that have like these 20 page business plans and they've got, you know, sub points with sub bullet points and all this. And, and if that's your analytic, if God gave you that analytical personality, great. He didn't give me that personality. I'm a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. Okay, so for me, I gotta keep things. Re- I keep things really, really simple. I use the Kiss principle, right? K I S S. Keep it simple, sweetie. Right. So, so for me, my entire business plan is get up, thank God for the day, add as much value as you can, repeat again tomorrow. Now, to get to that place where you just you put in the work, you have total faith that it is going to work somehow, some way. Yep. That requires a significant level of trust. You're, yep. Now you're talking about a relationship between you and God at, yeah. at a very deep level. Right. What would you share with somebody who's just struggling with that level of trust that you've been able to find? I would say, well, probably part of the reason why they're struggling with that is because they're looking at the big, big picture and getting freaked out, I would say, why don't we just trust God for the next hour? Now, if you can trust him for an hour, you can trust him for two hours. If you can trust him for two hours, you can trust him for four hours. And you just build. Everything's a growth process. Mm -hmm. You don't wake up one day, most people don't at least, and just say, I'm going to trust God with my life because we're human. We're going to screw up at some point. So just take it step by step. Just go as far as you can see. Go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll see farther. But don't try to bite off the whole big thing and say, I'm going to trust God with everything. You know, p- people make these grand pronouncements, right? The challenge is people treat their life like most people treat a gym on January 1st, right? It took me 40 years to get this out of shape. I'm going to get back in shape in 40 minutes. No, you're not. You're going to pull a muscle and have an aneurysm. Just, <laughs> just, just do it. Let's just do one push-up, man. If you could do one push-up, tomorrow we'll try to go for two. None of this, I'm going to give my life to God. I mean, and that might sound heretical when I say that. I think it's wonderful that people say that, but when, when the bullets start flying, we'll see how much you really believe what you believe. So let's just go inch by inch. I hope that made sense, John. Well, totally. Cause you, you, what you're doing is you're talking about how to apply that, you know, practically, you know, what is something uh, like when I was recovering from my accident, there was days I knew I couldn't get through the day, Kevin, right. there, there was, if I thought about getting from the, when I woke up in the morning, getting through that evening, uh, it was absolutely overwhelming i focused literally on the next five minutes beautiful and i'm like you know what god if you can just help me get through the next five minutes and i knew i could take my meds and you know the thing was i'd take them and i could only take the next set and four hours later but they wore off in two (laughs) that it was that was when i really had a you know lean into god for those last two hours and but you know what he got me through and then it was then i only had to focus on you know can you get me through 10 minutes can you get me through the next hour and then can you just get me through to dinner and you know could you see how present that made you totally made me present it was actually you know thinking back on it because you're helping me reflect that experience for me grounded me in in the today versus the tomorrow and for me that was a place uh that has really opened some incredible um things in my life in, in a very meaningful way and i don't even know how to put words to it but but being present being in that day car part uh day Tight compartment. Uh, tight compartment, like you talk right. about. Right. Uh, you know, my speech center is still damaged, but that was from an accident when I was a child. No. Uh, <laughs> well, my, my speech center is damaged because I closed a lot of bars in the 80s, and I have limited brain cells. So, But he, he let me keep enough that I can form sentences, so I'm good to go, you know? So, uh, but but what in, in your example there, in the present appeared to be a curse, 
in retrospect, it provided a blessing. Well, it did. Well, I've shared this before, but I was thrown off a horse. Uh, I, I broke almost everything from my, my shoulders up. I was in ICU for, for six weeks and at Craig Hospital here with a brain injury for 20 months. And and uh, But going through that, like you talked about, looking back on it, who I became, what I noticed as I went through that. And, you know, we've all been through times in that with, you know, relationships, you know, our marriage has been rocky. You know, you're counting on this one big sale to come in, and you didn't make your numbers that year. Mm-hmm. And then and then all of a sudden you blow it out. I mean, what, everybody has things going on in life because life happens. Of course. But it's how you go through it each day, right? And can you go through it with some joy and peace in your life? Or are you going through it with just this crazy frenetic, you know, squirrel on Red Bull mentality What's just, you know, just rips you <laughs> apart? <laughs> the most important thing to remember is that the most important thing is the most important thing. That is that is the quote of the day right there, because I totally agree with that. The most important thing to remember is that the most important thing is the most important thing. So, yes, you know, we're going to get sucked into that squirrel on Red Bull moment. We're going to get sucked into that, oh, crap, I was counting my commission before I got the sale done kind of thing. You're going to be counting, you know, that's life. That's how we learn. That's, those are growth opportunities, right? It does, doesn't mean it's not painful when you go through it. But if we constantly look at our life and say, every single moment of my life is an opportunity for me to learn how to be closer to God and how to add more value to his children. Well, that's fantastic. I love what you've shared today. You know, as we wrap up, let me ask you just two questions. First of all, I asked you before, what is just one book outside the Bible that you would recommend for people that's just made an impact on what you're doing and the work uh, right now? What, what would that be? It would be How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which is just a staple in the, in the personal development library. But I would encourage people not to read it. Um, you should read street signs and menus. You should study books. So don't go read How to Win Friends and Influence People one time. Study it over and over and over until you could give a seminar. Study it enough so that if people put you on trial and accused you of being guilty of having read that book, it would take a jury less than five minutes to convict you. You know, that that's a good point. Every, and, you know, I, I read that book every year, and uh, every time I pull it off the shelf to read it, I feel like somebody went in there and rewrote it. I mean, there every, is so much in there that's so rich, and if you're not studying it, it just it doesn't sink in. Every chapter in that book is summarized in one sentence. There are 30 chapters in that book. Every morning when I get in the shower, I recite out loud in the shower while I'm lathering up from memory all 30 chapter summaries before I even start my day. I've been doing that for 20 years. Okay. Well, I have a new goal for today. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. And, hey. I, and I do it only because I know that, my, that through the course of the day, everything is going to be predicated, obviously, on God. But beyond you know, the obvious God, the God thing, everything is going to be predicated on my ability to create and nurture relationships with humans. And that's all going to come down to how to win friends and influence people, which is all about relationships. Well, I think you bring up a great point. First of all, what's taught in that book is just, you know, a master class in relationships. But what you have done is you have married that up with your faith and the servant leadership that, that Christ has shown the world. And then you've pulled the two together in a way to serve others. This isn't a lot of people will read that book and say, OK, this is how to manipulate people to accomplish what's important to me. 
And I've seen other people like yourself that have a different mindset, which is this is going to equip me to employ this in a way that serves others. And what I would tell people, if you look at Kevin and his results, and we didn't go into a lot of the numbers and accomplishments and what all those plaques on the wall have meant, but the results of that mindset uh, have been absolutely phenomenal. So I'd love for you to share, you know, how people can get in touch with you. What What are you working on now here as we wrap up? Well, um, I have 10 seconds to make a comment on what you just said. Absolutely. Let's just be clear about manipulation. Yeah. Manipulation is when I'm communicating with you in a way that the I'm looking for an outcome that is beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Manipulation is when I'm trying to manipulate you for an outcome that's beneficial to me. Rel- influence is when I'm trying to help you understand that there's an opportunity here for a mutually beneficial relationship. How to win friends and influence people when it's read correctly, not as a manipulative tool, but as a way to create and nurture relationships, it is second to the Bible. So I just want to throw that comment in there. No, Um, I think that that is a great comment. And I'm glad you clarified that because... I, I don't think enough people have read that book. I made my kids read that book in high school, and we right. studied mm-hmm. it together. And I've just seen the, just the huge fruit that that has borne uh, in every part of their life. Yeah. yeah and I got to tell you, I wish every doctor I'd had through the two years in the hospitals had read, you know, it, maybe uh, even a paragraph in there. It didn't happen very often. I, I've, done a lot of work in the, I've done a lot of work in the medical industry, and most, most doctors are technically highly proficient, but they need more emotional intelligence, and they need better bedside manner. It's all in how to win friends and influence people. You know, hey, what are you working on now, and how can people get in touch with you and, and just share what's, uh, what's on your heart today? Well, thanks. Um, very easy to find. I'm, I'm out of the witness relocation program a long time ago. Um, if they go to kevinknebel.com, it's Kevin Knebel. Knebel is K-N-E-B-L. Could I please buy another vowel? Kevinknebel.com. Um, you can learn about what I do and how I serve people. Um, I'm working on another book right now. Uh, I'm continuing to speak all around the world on a weekly basis. Next week, I'm in Fort Myers, Florida. The week after, I'm in Sydney, Australia. The week after that, I'm in London, England. And so I'm, God has blessed me to travel around the beautiful world and help a lot of beautiful people. So um, if people want to sign up for my newsletter, it's at kevinknebel.com. If they want to join the cocktail party that is my Facebook wall, they can go to facebook.com. Uh, LinkedIn, obviously, I do a tremendous amount of work with helping people understand LinkedIn. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, but Go to kevinknebel.com, and if I could ever help, I'm extending my hand in friendship to anybody listening to this. If I could ever help you in any way, I'm extending my hand in friendship, and I would challenge you to make me prove it. I want to add, I'm all about paying it forward, and I would love to help you. Kev, what are the topics that you talk about when you go and are are hired by these corporations to go speak? What are the things that you talk about? I'm typically teaching how to blend what I refer to as old school, high touch relationship networking and sales skills with new school social media platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, without having to get tape on your glasses or a pocket protector. So basically taking old school relationship skills, marrying it with new school communication technology. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. We're going to put all the links to everything you talked about in our show notes. People can find it there. And I've been reading Kevin's blog. I got to tell you, it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Seriously, it uh, sign up, have that sent to your inbox. It will, it'll make you better. And uh, I got to tell you, thank you, Kevin, for sharing today. This is uh, one of the favorite interviews that we've done yet on this podcast. And I, I know it's going to impact a lot of people. So thank you much. Thanks, guys. God bless. 
If you're listening on your iPhone or iPad and want to learn more about Kevin, just click the little I icon on the right and find it there in the show description. Otherwise, you can go to eternalleadership.com and search for Kevin Knebel, K-N-E-B-L, and find it in the show notes. While you're there at eternalleadership.com, you can go check out past episodes, ways to subscribe to this podcast feed, links to our Facebook page, LinkedIn group, John's executive coaching page, a lot more. That's eternalleadership.com. One other way to connect with us is through Facebook, facebook.com slash eternalleadership. There we have inspiring quotes, articles, links, a lot more, facebook.com slash eternalleadership. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Jeff Spatafora from the Halftime Institute. And this is where the sacred and the secular merge. You know, Mm -hmm. the exam was originally started by the Jesuits. It was the evening prayer to go examine your heart. And that's the sacred history of it. And the learning that comes from that is massive. But where it connects to the secular is that's really one of the first steps of cognitive behavior therapy is to look back and say, okay, when do I start feeling the stress? How do I identify that trigger? And then what's a specific behavior that to me is a real example of trusting God more? You won't want to miss it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.